BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be discussing a landmark verdict that came out of the PCA. And they did a verdict that acquitted someone who was accused of, you know, basically the Me Too movement in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, went after this teaching elder. This teaching elder has been acquitted after about four years of adjudication. So this is a really big decision. It has a lasting implication for the PCA. It also has broader implications for the rest of evangelicalism, especially in contrast to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is embracing Me Too uh, with no end in sight. So this court case, which showed a vigorous process of due process and evidence and examination, uh, appears to have exonerated the accused so this is a very interesting story, and I hope you stick around because we're gonna. And I'm gonna try to explain it as simply as I possibly can. This is like a four, give or take years, I'm, that I'm gonna cram into this video as succinctly as I possibly can. Uh, but first, uh, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us. Uh, by liking the video and also subscribing to the channel if you are new. That's the least you can do. Evangelical Dark Web also has a Patreon-like system that you can support us at evangelicaldarkweb.org join. We don't use Patreon because they censor, so we built our own. So, with that said, um, here is the verdict. Uh, this is the verdict that we're going to read. I'm going to read the summary of the case. And then I'm going to switch to my own article to kind of summarize the facts, because not all the facts are actually in this case, as in the specifics of the allegations against teaching elder Daniel Heron. So summary of the case, this case came to the SJC, which is the uh, Standing Judicial Commission of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's their equivalent of a Supreme Court. Uh, for you non-PCA normies out there. And the Central Indiana Presbytery, the CIP, is how they will be acronymed from here. Um, this case came to the SJC from the CIP as BCO 41, reference request for the conduct of, tr of, tr of a trial. The SJC accepted the reference at it's June 2nd, 2022 meeting stipulating the Presbytery would be responsible for the prosecution following 
discussions with the parties and depositions of deposition of various pretrial motions, the SJC chairman assessed with which SJC members would be available for the week-long trial process in Indianapolis and appointed a three-judge panel with two alternates, the panel to try the case. The CIP prosecutor presented a 12-page indictment dated May 20, 2022, containing seven charges elaborated with numerous specifications, 11 of which were deleted, five amended by the prosecutor at trial. A 42-hour trial was held November 15 to 19, 2022, hosted at Yoon-hee Korean Presbyterian Church, PCA, in Indianapolis, Indiana. The prosecution presented testimony from 18 witnesses, nine via live video conference, and the defense presented testimony from 24 including the accused, four via live video conference. A total of 640 exhibits were presented by the parties, and the trial transcripts totaled 1,966 pages. The panel filed its proposed decision with the SJC and or at the SJC's stated meeting on March 2, 2023. By a vote of 22 to 0, the SJC adopted the preliminary verdict contained herein. So... It appears that the panel of three judges and then these 22 people have all approved the words that we are about to read. Interesting to note that the accused had more witnesses than the prosecution. Interesting facts. So I'm going to switch over to my own article to do a summary of facts. Um, but I do want to read my opener. The Peace Presbyterian Church in America is no stranger to just about every fight going on in the church right now. Among the top three issues include a massive push for feminism in the church, weaponizing the Me Too movement to insert errant theology. In the Southern Baptist Convention, Jennifer Lyell received a settlement for her consensual relationship with a fellow SBC staffer using MIG. Me Too, with figures like Rachel Den Hollander backing her. In the PCA, Daniel Heron was a target of this ire. Last week, the PCA's Standing Judicial Commission released their preliminary verdict exonerating Daniel Heron of the charges brought against him by the three by three accusers. The SJC is the highest court, and the next step would be filing briefs prior to the final. Verdict. So I guess that's their last chance for an appeal is that process. So facts of the case. In 2016, Kara Million and her husband Chris Baker began attending Hope Presbyterian Church with Chris Baker interning for Daniel Heron with the intent of becoming a teaching elder someday. Cutting to the chase, and again, there's a lot of details. Kara Million and Daniel Heron had a coffee at a cafe, which they discussed this Facebook post, which appeared to be a public dig at Heron. And in this post, Kara uh, Million quotes Rachel Denhollander about church not being a safe place for the abused or the abuse victims. Uh, and then she says, I'm so glad this interview came out. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people, even pastors, hijack this woman's voice to plug conservative family values. How ironic looking back at this. 
Um, and how God can make something amazing happen through a horrible, horrible tragedy. I would be mortified if my assault stories got passed around as proof of our sexually obsessed culture, as if the abuse and commodification of women is somehow new and unique to our culture, and that if people would just get married the biblical way, this would, wouldn't ever happen to those poor, poor women. She was 15 years old. I was eight. That was the time for you to speak up for us, and you were silent. You don't get to swoop in after the fact and put a pretty Jesus-y spin on this just to make your sermon sound good. Listen to her. So this is a public dig at Heron because he must have made reference to her in a sermon. And so uh, this they had some sort of discussion at a cafe about this. And it did not go well. And I'm citing an article by IDS about this that states that million, which is an odd last name for obvious reasons, and I have trouble saying, not saying millions, a million sat on the couch next to Baker trying to prevent Heron from sitting next to her. Uh, but this is this is the height of the allegations, by the way. Millions sat on the couch next to Baker, trying to prevent Heron from sitting next to her. But Heron slid in front of the couch to pick up books that were sitting on a coffee table. Million alleges that he leaned over, reached down slowly, and pressed his body flush against her breast right in front of Baker, Baker and Million allege Heron stayed pressed against her for 10 to 15 seconds. So I describe this as a variation of stopping short, and that is what Daniel Heron is accused of by Kara Million and her husband. He's accused of stopping short, which is a reference to uh, uh, George Costanza's father's you know, famous pickup move for women. So I guess that's the context for why a man would stop short is because you think that the Seinfeld character is a role model for romance. Uh, that is what he's accused of doing. And the another accuser, so there's three accusers, Kara and her husband, Chris Baker, and then this other girl named Abigail Harris came forward to accuse Heron of checking her out. One day in the summer 2018, after a piano lesson for her daughter, I believe, or his daughter, one or the other, uh, Harris remembers standing out on Heron's driveway. One step below him, Heron stood shirtless after a boxing workout. Harris says, as they talked, she recalled his eyes scanning up and down her body, checking her out in a way that made her feel uncomfortable. Another day in 2018, Harris alleges Heron leaned into her row during a church service and pressed his body against hers. Now, the first allegation here by Harris is pretty dubious. I don't think you can prove eye contact, you know, without video or anything really significant. Uh, and then the second accusation is about a questionable lean. Is this questionable lean another variation of uh, Daniel Heron trying to stop short on her? I don't know because it's not even worded that way. This is, again, uh, a liberal outlet reporting on this. And 
it do, it do, it's not worded the same as the first alle- or uh, millions allegation that he was trying to stop short with her. This, on the other hand, is you know it could just be socially awkward. It could just be it could be a sexual perverted thing, but there's not enough clarity provided in how this allegation is worded. So I don't know what to think. And then at the end of 2018. Chris Baker ceased working at Hope Presbyterian Church. That's a church that this is all uh, taking place at. It. And this is a church in Indiana. With the dispute about pay. In July 2019, Kara Million and Abigail Harris sent a letter to the Central Indiana Presbytery, the CIP, accusing Heron of sexual harassment and bullying. The initial investigation was was kept, uh, kept the name of the accusers anonymous from Heron. So Heron was investigated with charges against him, sort of without knowing who was raising charges against him. That is a little unethical, but, uh, that that's part of the drama behind the scenes. Uh, the teaching elder, Stephen Marusich, Raised for uh, okay, I, I skipped one thing. The initial investigation kept the names of the accusers anonymous from Heron. In January 2020, they did not pr- find a presumption of guilt against Heron. Uh, teaching el- elder Stephen Marasuch raised four objections to the investigation, including its findings, and the CIP sustained his procedural objections. So he had four objections. One of them was to the findings. The other was, uh, I forget, but the middle two objections were procedural. They were accepted. Uh, They had to do with, you know, who was investigating it under what authority and scope. So those were accepted. The, they had to redo the investigation and that's what we're adjudicating now is the, you know, the round two, I guess in 2021, Daniel Heron would file a civil defamation suit against his accusers. This would become a prescient issue leading to new charges against Heron for violating 1 Corinthians 6. Heron refused to comply with demands by the CIP to withdraw his lawsuit, claiming that it would be prejudicial against against him and his reputation to comply with the CIP's demands. Heron was found guilty of contumacy in July 2021. So, Heron refused to comply and uh, he maintained his his right to pursue civil court. Uh, And I'm going to say up front that, you know, I don't think that the 1 Corinthians 6 applies uh, to this, by the way. I, I don't. And I'll get to that in a in a later section in August, 2022 Heron's accusers were deposed for the civil lawsuit. The depositions were admitted as evidence for the presbytery. The trial commenced on November 15, 2022. The SJC panel was, uh, ruling out her pickering. Uh, he was a moderator of the trial teaching elder Greco, Ruling Elder Donahoe, Ruling Elder Dowling served as an alternate, and so did Teaching Elder Lee. He also served as an alternate. The trial lasted 42 hours, with a total of 42 witnesses, 18 for the prosecution, 24 for the defense, including the accused, and hundreds of exhibits. It adjourned November 19th. 
The panel agreed to permit some wit- some of the witnesses listed by the prosecution to testify by live video conference in a manner by which the witness would not be able to see the accused for such witnesses would to be cross-examined only by defense counsel. Kara Million was listed by the prosecution su- as such a witness, but she did not appear at the trial. As a result, the transcript of her deposition in the civil defamation suit was admitted into the trial recorded by stipulation of the prosecution and the defense. So I got to, you know, let's just be blunt and say what we got to say. Kara Million had time to go on all these podcasts and write all these articles for her victimhood status within the church. And then she doesn't even show up to the the trial involving her own case. So she's got time for, you know, the, the, the trauma circuit, but she doesn't have time to stand up in court. Not, you know, that, that's not cool. That, that completely undermines her credibility. My personal opinion that completely undermines her credibility. So let's read the seven charges that were made against teaching elder Daniel Heron. Charge one, failing to use discretion, chastity, and modesty with regard to sexuality, both during the course of his official duties as pastor and elsewhere. For this charge, you know, he was found not guilty. Charge two, belittling, demeaning, neglecting, provoking, quarreling with, intimidating, domineering, lying about, and refusing to be reconciled with both employees and congregation members under his charge during the course of his official duties as pastor. This is basically your bullying charge. He was found not guilty. Charge three, lying, slandering, giving false evidence, scoffing, flattering, and otherwise distorting the truth in conversation, ecclesiastical and civil proceedings, oral and written testimony, and elsewhere. For this charge is also a bullying-related charge. I'm curious at the use of the word flattering. Uh, He was found not guilty. Charge four, initiating a civil lawsuit against two sisters in Christ, threatening with them with punitive financial damages if they testify in ecclesiastical court in accordance with their previously submitted testimony, which resulted in interference with the exercise of jurisdiction of the Central Indiana Presbytery. He was found not guilty of this. Uh, Charge 5, refusing to comply with a lawful directive of Presbytery given for the perseverance, perseverance, preservation of the peace, purity, and unity of the church within the ecclesiastical discipline process, that is, contumacy, according to Ordination Vow 4, which requires ministers to promise subjugation or subjection to your brethren in the Lord. So, basically, you know, that, that charge is related to charge 4 and uh, his refusal to obey a what a lawful order is basically the charge. Charge six, holding and expounding views in conflict with the Westminster standards and failing of his own initiative to make known his change in views since the assumption of his ordination vows, according to ordination vow two, which requires ministers to sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster standards to voluntary and to voluntarily notify the Presbytery of any changes 
in their view. So this is a theological charge in nature, and it was deleted at the trial. Charge 7. Failing to maintain a life that is above reproach so as to be open to such numerous char charges and specifications, and thus no longer meeting the requirements for an officer or minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. So this is a charge through defrockment as an, an elder. And the verdict, uh, teaching elder Daniel Heron was found not guilty on all seven charges. The preliminary verdict explains, and this is a direct quote from the verdict. Uh, no, that's not the verdict. So we can read it direct from the horse's mouth if you prefer. Uh, at trial, at trial, the panel was presented with a 12-page indictment containing seven charges, each elaborated with numerous specifications, 11 of which were deleted, five amended by the pr prosecutor at trial. Okay, so we, we read that part. Uh, it was the panel's judgment that no charge in the indictment was credibly sustained by testimony by the testimony of witnesses, evidentiary exhibits, or arguments set forth by the prosecution. So this is a killer paragraph here. I'm gonna I quote here and below. The panel noted that some of the evidence was ambiguous and subject to different interpretations. Witnesses, this is for charges one, two, three, and seven. Witnesses for each side sometimes testified to identical or substantially similar events, but with different conclusions. Where ambiguous digital or documentary evidence existed, however, it, was strong, it strongly supported the arguments of the accused, providing objective proof against these specific allegations of sin. The fa this fact affected the panel's assessment of the credibility to ascribe to testimony for which there was no tangible evidence or for which there was no third-party witnesses. After carefully examining all the evidence, the panel unanimously agreed that the prosecution did not meet the burden, its burden of proof in this case. So charge four is a lot more interesting or uh, elaborated on, I should say. It's not the most interesting charge in this case. Uh, because char charge four has to do with the uh, First Corinthians 6 argument. And to me, I think this charge falls flat based off the, you know, who the accused are and their behavior. I think this charge falls flat uh, because they're not even attending church so they basically deconstructed their faith, so they're not really within the brethren. So I don't think, you know, I don't think this is a valid charge, and neither did they. They ultimately, uh, charge four, charges, charge four was acquitted on the basis of an argument of the validity of the lawsuit, stating that the prosecution did not meet the burden of proof to show that the lawsuit was sinful. Charge five was dependent on charge four. Charge six was theological in nature and was deleted by the prosecution at trial. All censures, suspensions against Daniel Heron are thus removed by the SJC, and Heron is restored in good standing as a minister in the PCA. So let's start, talk about the red flags of this case. This is uh, 
you know, there's a lot of Me Too stuff going on in this case, and uh, it's pretty evident that this was a Me Too case. Whether there's any legitimacy to the charges, well, uh, Daniel Heron had apparent witnesses that described similar behavior but didn't take, but, you know, some of his witnesses didn't take uh, the actions of Daniel Heron the same as these people did. And I think it's quite obvious that Kara Million is a feminist. Like, we can talk about that for a second here. This case against Daniel Heron emerged during the height of the Me Too movement with Rachel Den Hollander as an established influence on the case. It's worth noting that the evidence that she's a feminist include her not taking her husband's name, that's definitely evidence that she's a feminist, affinity for Rachel Den Hollander, her support for Christine Blasey Ford, uh, the woman who raised false allegations against Brett Kavanaugh in 2018. And the this was, you know, reported by the IDS, the Indiana Daily Student, which is, I guess, a college newspaper. And this tweet screenshot, Bob O'Bannon was one of the people who was init- one of the initial investigators of the claims that she made. And Bob O'Bannon uh, basically, you know, attacks... Christine Blasey Ford and defended Brett Kavanaugh because it was pretty clear at the time that Christine Blasey Ford was lying. This was an obvious lie. And if you uh, believed her, then you're not really a credible person when it comes to weighing evidence of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, anything Me Too related. You're just not credible. And, you know, that includes Rachel Den Hollander, by the way, and uh, Jordan Peterson, I want to say, <laughs> as well. Um, but O'Bannon, so he was one of the initial tweets, and this tweet was problematic to her. And here's another fun fact about Million. Uh, IDS reported this gem. After being taught creationism as a child, Million would receive, will receive her Ph.D. in evolutionary biology. And they also reported that she and her husband have not been to church in years. This alone makes the lawsuit fair game from a biblical perspective. This is not a law. This loss, the civil defamation suit is not a violation of first Corinthians six. She's left the church. She had recourse within the church. He does not have any recourse for her defamation, alleged defamation. And then even Steve Marusich uh, he was a feminist too. Uh, he's the lead teaching elder campaigning against Heron. He's an apparent feminist and simp for trauma grifters. That's just uh, evident on his Twitter. And then Marusic wanted an outside investigation for in-church matters. So he wanted an organization called Grace to handle this investigation. That is an actual 1 Corinthians 6 violation. You don't bring in outsiders to investigate the church. That's a 1 Corinthians 6 violation. You know, the church is supposed to judge within the church. Do you not know that we will judge even angels? You know, why are you going to the pagans to judge the church? So, that's an actual 1 Corinthians 6 violation. So, let's actually get to some of the reactions to this case. And I think the reactions to this case definitely show that there this was a clear Me Too battle. This was a clear me too battle so we got 
Dr. Valerie Hobbs, some feminist, I guess. I was up most of the night thinking about this case, including the fact that Annie, at Annie's World, and I wrote to the SJC panel before the trial asking for trauma-informed accommodations for vulnerable abuse witnesses. We got no response except silence and then the exclusion of Kara from testifying. So uh, she believes the SJC was afraid to listen to Kara's testimony. Uh, she also believes that the PCA was, is scared of non-conforming women and, and they're frightened of the truth about violence. And they, that she believes that they fear the disruption of their man-centered church that cases like Heron presents. So she's obviously using this case as a bludgeoning object to, for her feminism. And that's just readily apparent. The paragraph at the end of the lawsuit, uh, or sorry, the end of this, you know, right here talks about the accommodations, however reasonable or unreasonable. Uh, we can have a debate whether uh, accusers should have to face their, you know, the accused has a right to face their accusers. That means, you know, whether that means even physically. Uh, but they were cross-examined, so I'm not, you know, it didn't make much of a difference in this case. So, and then we got another uh, pronouns in bile. So we don't know whether Karen Million no-showed according, she no-showed according to the document, whether due to an unreasonable request is unclear, but accommodations were made for the accusers. So whether it was her choice not to, uh, take advantage of those accommodations. That's on her. Again, her not showing up to the trial reflects poorly on her. And then we got Joanna, she, her. It was written by such men. And they've set a clear precedent that a PCA pastor with all the markings of an extreme narcissistic abuser is free to put his victims through a living hell of bullying and lawsuits. With the full blessing of the church. Hashtag PCA2. That's the hashtag I use to get some of these responses, by the way. Pronouns and bio, we can automatically discount the uh, tweet. So, uh, summarily, by the way. And then Boslaw, who seems like an abuse grifter. Uh, trauma grifter. I'm not surprised, but disappointed nonetheless. The BCO, Book of Church Order, which is the constitution of the PCA. Uh, the BCO and the men deciding these matters are wholly ill-equipped to do so despite them thinking otherwise. Abuse victims seldom stand a chance in such a flawed judicial structure. You mean one that takes into account uh, due process and the Bible? You know, I trust that due process goes on more in the Presbyterian uh, polity than I do in our own judicial system. Because you can definitely get convicted without the burden of proof being met in the United States court systems. Like we say innocent until proven guilty, but our system is highly prejudicial towards the prosecution. That's, that's how our justice system works. That's not how it's designed to work, but that is how it works. It's entirely prejudicial towards the prosecution, you know? So, and then here, here's my conclusions because again, this is a long story. So, but it's seemingly over. At first, 
It may seem that the PCA tried to cover up charges of sexual harassment, not abuse. So, you know, Daniel Heron has been called a, an abuser, despite the fact that he's not accused of abuse. He's accused of sexual harassment by one of its teaching elders. But after the exhaustive amount of evidence and witness testimony, they found insufficient evidence that meets the burden of proof. Moreover, the verdict found that the evidence appeared to favor the accused on multiple occasions. This is a blow against the Me Too movement running rampant in the church, and while the Southern Baptist Convention is captivated by it, due process remains alive in the PCA. So that's how I can conclude the article. Now, again, I don't think the PCA is flawless in their court process. They did, after all, uh, fail to convict Greg Johnson, but, you know, different presbyteries are different. I believe this is so... Maybe that has something to do with it, but in any case, it's you can't say they didn't listen to the evidence. And the people, you know, I, I looked for a bunch of responses to this, and none of the responses were based off the merits of the evidence. They're all based off of these men have no business doing it because there's no women on it, therefore this verdict's invalid. Or they're not trauma-informed, which means Rachel Den Hollander theology and feminism. So that, that was the argument against and the outrage against the verdict. And ironically, Julie Royce has not... She did some reporting on this story, but she hasn't done reporting on this verdict. So I actually beat her to it. So I, I, I was looking for her response, but it doesn't seem, seem like she has a response to this verdict. But otherwise, there's my take. And special shout out to uh, Violet of Berean Babes who sent this case to me. She sent this story to me with zero details. And I'm like, what is this case? And what is this case even about? Because, you know, I had to do a lot of research because of her. So... Uh, shout out to her for sending me this story. Otherwise, let me know what you think about what I think. Don't forget to like the video on your way out. Have a blessed day, and I will catch you on the next one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.